Welcome to On, on, on the Line, a podcast by The Fisherman, where men talk about the ups and downs of just what it means to be a Christian man in today's crazy world. So, get ready to cast your nets out into the virtual deep. Here's your host, Matt Hicks. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us! We're gonna freaking die! And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was dead calm. They were amazed, saying, Who is this guy? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Oh boy, I love this gospel. As I'm recording this very first episode of On the Line, it's actually raining in the background, kind of storming outside, and it hasn't rained here in quite some time. So I'm kind of excited, as I've got my slippers on, I've got a blanket, I've got a pumpkin spice candle lit, and it's just glorious. How many of us can relate to this gospel passage? Look, the Bible is such a complicated, oftentimes complicated piece of work, and it was written so long ago and so hard to understand sometimes. But this, this passage uh, that I just read from Matthew is uh, all of us, all of us can relate to a storm in our life, a storm in our life. And okay, I'm, I'm a smart enough Christian to know that Jesus is here. Okay, I have faith, but it seems like he is just asleep. I've got all this worry, all this anxiety, so much is going on. The Lord's there. I know he's there, but he's sleeping. Or maybe he just doesn't care. Oh, yes. Jesus tells us he came to give us peace. All right. I come to give you peace. Well, where's the peace? Where's I, this is the opposite of peace right now, Lord. And you got to know that his disciples were thinking the exact same thing. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is real. I've, I've overcome that hurdle. But what are you doing, bro? But let's take that peace argument for just one second. In the Gospel of Mark, when he describes this same story, what does he tell the storm? He tells the storm, peace, be still. The very thing that, that we're looking for, Jesus gives. But notice, he doesn't turn to the apostles in the boat saying, oh, here's your peace. Here's your no, he turns to the conflict. He turns to the problem and says, you be still. Do you know why? Because the storm is the creation, just as much as the apostles are. The storm gets instantly calm because it knows its master's voice. What does the sea know? <laughs> your water, your water, bro. What do you know? I, I, I've got the world at my fingertips. I can know anything I want to with my iPhone. I know a lot of things. I don't know math, but I know a lot of things. You don't know anything. You're the sea. But maybe you know the most important thing of all, and that is the sound of your creator. 
My brothers, how often do we hear the voice of our creator? Okay, let that question ruminate in the back of your mind as you listen to the rest of this episode. Welcome, guys, to On the Line. I am your host, Matt Hicks, and this is the very first episode of this, I guess, reboot uh, that I'm doing in, in my podcast ministry. And so you may be asking, I've got enough podcasts. Why do I need to listen to you, Matt? What do you have to offer me? I'm really busy. Uh, what, what do you got, bro? Well, guys, first of all, none of this is me. Maybe, maybe one out of 10 of this is actually my thoughts, okay? So I like to take a lot of things. I like to synthesize a lot of the stuff that I listen to and kind of take the stuff that I feel is helpful, helpful to men in particular, because that's what this podcast, uh, that's who this podcast is intentionally ministering to as men, uh, Christian men, and to throw it back at you guys in maybe a little bit different of a light because I don't know if, if you are like me, uh, you know, sometimes you, for this gospel, for example, you'll, in church, you'll hear, or somebody reading it, and you'll say, oh, and Jesus was in the boat, and, um, and the, the wind came, and it, Jesus said, please be still. I cannot stand when uh, we hear those kinds of things, and they should be read with emotion, uh, God bless the people that are reading them and actually stand up and talk in front of people. Okay, that's not my point. My point is we need a little bit more <laughs> emotion, a little bit more feeling, a little bit more kick in the pants. And I'll dive more into feelings and emotions uh, later on and why we should put more emphasis into them and sometimes why uh, we should not use them to govern how we think and feel about things, particularly religion. <laughs> it's just so funny these days to say the word religion, by the way, I go, go off on many tangents because I'm, I'm kind of ADHD. You'll get that. Um, but it's almost a dirty word these days. People want to be spiritual, but not religious. They want to have their faith, but they don't want the strings attached to it. Guys, uh, I didn't invent this saying, but if you don't want organized religion, then that means you're settling for disorganized religion. And I don't know about you, but I want to anchor myself, anchor myself to truth that has been time-tested and saint-approved. Time-tested and saint-approved. That means revelation given to us by Jesus Christ that has been lived out by people for a long, long time. And I will be giving all of this, all of this to you from a Catholic lens. Let me also say that I welcome my non-Catholic brothers and sisters uh, to this podcast. I eagerly anticipate um, ecumenism, and I'm trying to give you, yes, the truth, but this is not my truth. This is a truth that has been lived out for at least the last 2,000 years. And there's, there's just so much here in the Catholic faith. But at the same time, I want to acknowledge my Protestant brothers that there is so much that you guys have taught me, continue to teach me, and that we can learn from each other. So knowing that, this, this is a little bit of an ecumenical podcast, um, but through a Catholic lens, no doubt. And what I hope my listeners come to understand is the difference between subjective truth versus objective truth. Subjective truth being, it's my truth, and uh, what's true for me is true for me and may not be true for That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stuff that has been revealed, stuff that it, you, can, you can take to the bank. 
you know, I mentioned emotions earlier. Um, I like the quote from the early 20th century writer, uh, Southern writer Flannery O'Connor, and she says, you know, truth doesn't change according to our ability to stomach it emotionally. You know, because why? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Because Christ preached a whole bunch of stuff in his short ministry on this earth that people didn't like. They didn't want to hear it. How about in Matthew 10, uh, 34, when Jesus says, "Mm, you know, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. Literally, I did not come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't. What he's saying here is I didn't come to make you feel good, guys. Okay. He says, again, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Okay. So to put that into context with everything else that he's saying, he's not talking about military warfare. He's talking about I didn't come to make you feel good. I came to turn thinking upside down. You've never heard anything like what I'm about to tell you. So you might be still asking, Matt, how does that apply to me? Why should I care? I've got things to do. I've got bills to pay. Football season's just starting. Why should I devote time to listen to you? Okay, let me first say this is not about me. None of this is about me. I'm not that interesting and I'm not selling you anything. I am doing this podcast out of my living room and I'm not selling anything. I'm not worried about YouTube ads. I am simply selling Jesus and I'm trying to turn hearts more closely toward him in every aspect of our life. Not just Sunday, but I go to church on Sunday. Good. Continue to go to church on Sunday. But there is so much more to the Christian life. There is so much more. And Christ wants to be in every piece of it. Because if he is not Lord of all of your life, he is Lord of none of it. So keeping all that in mind, my vision of a Christian man, that's what I'm trying to solidify in my own heart still and in yours. One of the very first things we need to realize as Christian men is the abandonment of the thought that we can live our lives as we want, that we're in control. I'm the captain of my ship. And I preach that because it is so hard for me to do. I'm a control freak. Ask my wife, but where being too controlling can come into the mix and really screw up a guy's life is when they fail to listen to the still, small, quiet voice of the Lord saying, maybe this isn't for you. And they plow forward anyway and say, no, Lord, I'm going to do it my way. And thanks to our sinful nature as men, I think that's innate in most of us anyway. We are born with this kind of wild, savage state innately within us, and it needs to be transformed. But transformed into what, Matt? Changed into what? So dictionary.com, when you look up the word meek, and that's what I'm offering to be changed into to, for, for you men to consider. Meek. You might think, and number one, by the way, number one for the definition of meek in dictionary.com describes it as being overly submissive, compliant, and quiet. Now, What kind of man wants to be overly submissive? Even if you know some overly submissive men, 
Do they actually want to be that way? Probably not. They probably want to be more uh, assertive. So that's definition number one, which I would argue nobody wants to be, especially a Christian man. You're a pushover, basically. Do you want to be a pushover? I don't. Nope. Eh. Definition number two on dictionary.com. Humbly patient. Okay, I could use a little more humility and a little more patience. Tame. Hmm. Usually when I think of something being tamed, it was first wild. It was first savage. And then it came under control. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek. So meekness must be a good thing, right? Okay. In Matthew 11, he also says, learn from me, for I am meek. So he says, you should be meek and I am meek. Okay, so we should be meek. I think we can strongly, assertively cross off the, "Mm, I'm going to be a pushover. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The definition that I offer is meekness should be thought of in terms of strength, not weakness. Being active, not passive. Being courageous, not timid or shy. Or one could say, power under control. So it's not being a doormat. It's not being a pushover. It is actually having strength, but being able to control it. You know, if I had to ask you guys what your definition of Jesus looks like, close your eyes, unless you're driving. uh, What do you imagine Jesus to look like? There's a lot Just Google Jesus and click on images and see what you find. There's a lot of different depictions of him. You might think of blonde-haired, blue-eyed, hippie Jesus. He came to play the guitar and sing Kumbaya. That is not what we're talking about. Okay, so let's turn to Scripture and see what Scripture says about Jesus, besides being meek. The ancient Greek word that is used to describe Jesus was tekton. And a simple definition of that would be worker, craftsman, builder, stone worker. We get the word carpenter translated, but I think that's a terrible definition because, you know, you think of carpenter and you probably think of Geppetto, you know, uh, and and Pinocchio sitting in a nice, comfortable little workshop and and chiseling away with wood and just, mm -hmm, he's got a nice little pair of glasses and his socks pulled high up. It's like, no, there was hardly any wood back then, first of all. In that area of the world, it was mostly stone, okay, stone. So Jesus is described as a tecton in Mark 6. It says, is this not the tecton, the son of Mary? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? But who else is described as a tecton? There's someone else in there, very close to Jesus. That would be Joseph, his stepfather. In Matthew 9, it says, is this not the tecton's son? So Jesus and Joseph, and that seems rightly ordered, that father and son would both be of the same initial profession. So Jesus built things. Joseph built things with their hands. They were laborers, okay? And they walked freaking everywhere back then. And it was hot and dirty So in my mind, anyway, I have this image of Jesus and St. Joseph as manly men, hardly any fat on them, also because of their diet, but because they were hard workers. Okay, 
The next aspect of a joyful, well, I just ruined it. <laughs> joyful! Be joyful. That doesn't mean be happy. It doesn't mean hiding your emotions and putting on a fake exterior. You know, uh, English writer G.K. Chesterton once said, there's only one irrefutable argument against Christianity. Christians! <laughs> Joyless Christians! You know, uh, my wife, non-Catholic, okay, non-denominational. And um, two of the things that have both inspired her to the faith and pushed her away from it were whom? Other Catholics. We can look at our religion and say, I don't want to be like that person. Or think of someone else and, wow, they have something I want. We are all witnesses to each of our faiths. And I'm inviting you to be a better version of that person. American Catholic apologist Scott Hahn uh, once said, a joyless Catholic is the devil's best tool. Likewise, a joyful Catholic is God's greatest instrument. So joyless or joyful? Because every denomination has what I like to call thumb suckers. Okay. Or actually, I stole that from uh, a Protestant evangelist named Joe McGee. He calls them thumb suckers. You know, the person who does nothing but complain. Ah, Father's homily was too long. Or uh, the coffee was terrible. Where's the donuts this Sunday? Something. They got to complain about something. Or you got the person in the back that's, well, maybe they're praying their rosary the entire time. And then you've got a kid who makes a peep in mass because they're three years old and they're just giving you the stink eye. Like, you shut that little child up. Uh, I'm sorry, but if you have kids, they should be in church. And they're going to be like squirrels. That's their job. And we should be happy that we bring our children to church. My advice, don't worry about the stank eye. Go to church. Go to church as a family. Which brings me to the whole idea of uh, why did we go to church? What's the reason? You might hear some people say, well, I just don't need to go to church. Jesus knows that, that I love him. Or more than likely, we just get too busy and we think of other reasons and excuses. And we just put it that that whole need to go to church, what we're called to do, just fundamentally, it's in our DNA, the need to go worship God in his house. And we just, we just kind of put it in the back of our minds and think about something else. You know, the other day I Googled, uh, why do I need to go to church? Okay, I put that exact sentence in the search bar. And um, the most prominent hit that Google returned to me in bold letters stated the following, quote, First and foremost, going to church helps you grow your faith. No! No! No, 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 no! Church is not about you, bro. Get your freaking perspective right. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about what we get from God but about what we give to God. 
And please do not base your Sunday attendance on either your feelings or how full your proverbial bucket of doctrinal wisdom might be. I mean, the Christian life is basically a collective response to what God has already done in us through our baptism, through our faith. God took the first step. Now he looks at us and asks, what are you going to do, bro? And by the way, that's how God talks to me. He, he, we're bro. He talks to me as in bro. So we start on Sunday and then we go out into the entire rest of the week to be that witness, to be that holy witness. You know, holy is an interesting word. It basically means to be set, set apart, um, for God. And, you know, father Mike Schmitz, who, runs a couple of podcasts way more popular than mine, uh, Bible in a year, catechism in a year. He defined sin a pretty good way. He said, God, I know what you want, but I want what I want. God, I know what you want, but I want what I want. God, I know that I'm not supposed to punch my boss in the face 15 times because he's a piece of crap, but eh, I'm going to do it anyway. I can't stand you. <sighs> Go with God. Hmm. Maybe that one will just stay in my mind. Um, no, the, the church is really the great resistance movement. Um, it, it's used to fight the powers of evil in this world. And that's a podcast for another day uh, and evil and its real presence in the world. But just suffice it to say it's real and it's there to work against you. You know, as Catholics, we actually get the boot after Mass. We're, we're kind of kicked out. Ita Misa Est. Gone! Get! Get out! Get out of here! You are sent. You are sent out into the world, into the awful place that it is. And by the way, you know, as a Catholic, I, I did not know this until I'm 40 years old now. I didn't know this in, in maybe the last five years. This is not... God's world. This is the devil's world. And I thought to myself, no, 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 no. This is God's world. What are you talking about, man? Ephesians 2.2 calls Satan the prince of this world. And John 12.31 calls him the ruler of this world. It's his. By sin, because of sin, it is his. And we are ambassadors on foreign territory of God's grace. We are, this world is going to be screwed up. You can expect it. And it's always going to be that way until the end of time. But our purpose here is to be baptized, to, to believe, and then to go out and live God's grace. Not to just build a wall and say, oh, nope, it's just me and my little world here. Just me and Jesus. That is absolutely the wrong way to think about Christianity. Uh, Christianity is not just you and Jesus. It is you and everyone else. And for us men, particularly if you're married and you have families, that's where it starts. It starts in the domestic church, the Ecclesia Domestica, which sees the family as a living image of the mystery that is the church. And here's where I'm going to end this podcast talking about the family, because it is so important. You know, um, 
in the Catholic Church in 1981, then Pope John Paul II wrote a document called an apostolic exhortation, which is basically just a really fancy word that says it's a document written by the Pope uh, to encourage a certain virtue um, or activity. It's not doctrine. It's meant as an encouragement of whatever the dude's feeling at the time, basically. And in 1981, he wrote one called Familiaris Consortio. Um, and again, this is, this is just a fancy title. What it meant was the Pope, first of all, back then was a huge proponent of marriage in the family in particular. And he wrote this document um, to describe the position of the church and its meaning and role in relation to marriage and the family, specifically the challenges that it faces in the modern world. Even more specifically, we could read into that what role the modern man, the, the vocation of the modern married man and father plays. And guys, uh, for my non-Catholic listeners, this has nothing to do with Catholic or non-Catholic or whatever. This is sound, true word, and it's echoed in many different people, many different Christians uh, ever since then. Because here, we are definitely speaking a common language in Christ. John Paul II said, quote, the first and fundamental structure of society is the family. As goes the family, so goes the whole world in which we live, end quote. Guys, that is it. That is your first and foremost important mission field. If you are a man and you are married, you have a family, that is it. Your wife and your kids, that is your mission field. That's not it. I mean, your job and everywhere else you go, even sitting in traffic, mission field, yes, but the most important one that you are called to to influence is your wife and kids. And let me tell you that you turn on the TV, you walk outside of your front door and every bit of what the world spews at you is going to be in opposition to that thought. It's about you. It's about your feelings. They're not good for you. They're bringing you down, man. You got to do something about that. You got to look out for number one. Wrong. And John Paul II was not the only person saying that. Look at Billy Graham, another guy that I hugely admire. Back in the day, Billy said, quote, no subject is closer to my heart than the family. When the family is destroyed, society eventually disintegrates. Ah, so true. And if you don't believe that, just look back in history. Look at the Soviet Union, for example. They were big proponents of abolishing the family and giving it all to the state and look what happened to their country. So I'll quote from, from this apostolic exhortation. Um, John Paul II wrote by virtue of the sacramentality of their marriages, spouses are bound to each other in the most profoundly indissoluble manner. Their belonging to each other is the real representation of the very relationship of Christ with the church. He went on to say spouses are therefore the permanent reminder to the church. And I would say to each other of what happened 
on the cross. Notice we're not talking about <laughs> uh, butterflies and rainbows here. Like, oh, I married my spouse and they're just supposed to be the, just the most wonderful thing ever and we never fight and they're just a healing balm to every, everything I was looking for. <clears throat> if that's you, please turn this podcast off and never listen to me again. I've been married for four and a half going on five years and that ain't us and that ain't most people that I know, your spouse is, well, let's put it this way. We reenact the cross in marriage. That said, please do not misunderstand me, brothers in Christ. That also includes the resurrection. But it ain't all joyful rainbows and happiness. It is both. It is suffering and it is resurrection. So many of us, they, we, we just, we don't want the suffering. We don't want disagreement. We don't want to fight. We don't, we, we just want the happiness. We just want the sunshine. We just want Jesus going up into the clouds and we want to forget about Good Friday and everything else that happened. And we bring that into our marriage. We bring that into everywhere else and that it just don't work that way. The difference with a Christian man is you take that suffering, you take those arguments with your spouse when you just want to put your hands around their neck and you say, I am going to handle you like the daughter in Christ that you are. And I will take this suffering and I will transform it, not because of my power, not because anything I can do, but because I unite it with his suffering on the cross. And I cooperate with grace. More on that later. That's a whole other podcast. Cooperation with grace. But it's not just words. And it's not just belief. It is action. It's not just action. It's all of it. It's all of it together. You have to act. You know, a, a very wonderful Protestant uh, pastor friend of mine, Ben Workman in Baton Rouge, he says, he, he once said, you know, Jesus is not the grease that makes your plans work. <laughs> You don't just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on something and then expect everything to be better. You know, to that, I would say that's absolutely right. You know, we're actually more of the grease. We're the grease. We're getting in the muck. We're, we get nasty. We get hot. We, we're the ones that get in and get dirty. But Jesus is there with us only if we ask him. He's there. He's going to be there anyway, but he's, he's just going to be staring at you saying, hey, son, why didn't you cooperate with me? But, but Jesus is there with us, but we have to invite him in and we have to cooperate with his grace. That's what happened in the boat. That's what happened with the storm. Jesus was already in the boat. It'd be interesting to see if they hadn't woken him up, what eventually would have happened. I don't know. But they had to cooperate Peter, John, all of them cooperate with Jesus and wake him up and say, Lord, we need you. That activated his grace. That activated the grease. And my brothers in Christ, I need a glass of water after this. I invite you to think about one last thing as I end this podcast. I want to try to keep them relatively short because that's just the day and age we live in. I, I, don't, I don't have time and you don't have time to listen to long uh, monologue podcasts. Anyway, um, I invite you to consider the very last words of a priest uh, in Baton Rouge that died last month in a tragic car accident who was just, he was dynamite. You know, a, a lot of you, a lot of my Protestant listeners, you have... Uh, pastors who are fantastic. I just mentioned one. Um, 
in the Catholic Church, it's it's sometimes a little bit different. We we can get a lot of we have a lot of snoozers um, out there. Uh, God bless them. Uh, but th- Father Mark Beard was not one of them. Father Mark Beard was a man. He was he was just dynamite. He was dynamite. And I first heard him uh, back in back in two thousand. Uh, 2020 when, when he did men of Immaculata in Baton Rouge and he was the very last speaker. And that was the conference that kind of gave me a kick in the pants to revert back to the faith. And, um, so anyway, he, he died recently and, but his last homily and you can find it on YouTube and, and listen to the whole thing. And it's fantastic. But interestingly enough, he talks about kind of the last times he talks about the end of life and how you can't keep straddling the fence the fence of faith in this life. In, in fact, he says that the fence, the fence was built, the fence is actually built by Satan. So if you're straddling on the fence, you're sitting on something that the devil made. He says, you're not your own. He said, the only thing that really matters is your soul. And if you don't understand the faith, you got to ask the questions. And he said, as a priest, as a pastor, as a man of God, his job is to pitch it to you to pitch him, to pitch you the truth, and whether you want to catch it or not is up to you. Guys, he talked about the ultimate buy-in, even if you don't understand it. I don't understand so much, so much. And you, you could study your whole lives about religion and the faith and Christianity and whatever denomination you're in, and you're never going to understand it all because you're not meant to. You're meant to, yes, study things and ask questions, but to just say, like the guy in the Bible <laughs> who, when I asked my pastor yesterday, I told him it was Peter. It wasn't Peter. <laughs> it was the guy with it. He had the servant and he wanted him to be healed. Anyway, he says in the Bible, and I know it's in the New Testament. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Isn't that us? I don't know how this stuff works. But then again, I don't know how math works, but I know it's right. I know it's true. Guys, buy in. Buy in with all you've got and spread it to your families. So let us in, guys, brothers in Christ, my brothers in Christ, let us in with this prayer. May Christ the Lord, the universal King, the King of families, be present in every Christian home, just as he was at Cana, bestowing light, joy, serenity, and strength. And guys, like those famous words in John 2, 5 from our Blessed Mother, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. May God bless you all. Thank you for listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. On the Line is a production of The Fisherman, a holy family ministry. Visit us at holyfamily.live.